What's going on, drinking buddies? Brand new one coming right at you. But real quick, you know what we gotta do first. We gotta pay a couple bills in this motherfucker. And the way we're gonna do that is our sponsors. Those lovely folks that bring you to the show week after week. First and foremost, we are brought to you by the video versions of And Now We Drink, available on Vimeo for 99 cents an episode or $6 a month. Get you unlimited streaming of all the episodes. The episodes are in full HD, no ads, the superior way to watch the show. Sometimes people get naked on here. It's happened. It'll probably happen again. So sign up today at www.anwd.net slash videos. Once again, that is www.anwd.net slash videos. We are also brought to you this week by my Twitch stream. That's right. Since the pandemic has started, guys... And I've been locked in my apartment for nearly every day since this has started. I started playing video games on the internet. I stream three to four times a week, various games. Come check out the stream at twitch.tv slash Slayer. Me and some friends are doing Fortnite on Monday nights. We're part of a group called You Laugh, We Die. Also, check us out on YouTube. Throw me some support. I'd love the hell out of you for it. Come hang out in the chat. Shit gets wild. You can make me do shots. People tried to kill me on a stream on Sunday. They tried to kill me. So once again, that is twitch.tv slash Slayer. Come hang out with us on Twitch. Last but not least, we are brought to you by our friends at Vinyl Me Please. Vinyl Me Please is the record of the month club. The best damn record of the month club. In fact, every month Vinyl Me Please features one album that is essential to the modern vinyl collection. Each record is pressed exclusively for Vinyl Me Please. And it has things you can't get anywhere else. Things like bonus tracks, inserts, color variants, and come packaged with a 12 by 12 album-inspired art print and custom cocktail pairing recipe. Vinyl Me Please has been a sponsor of And Now We Drink for quite some time because I believe in this. Because they're not like Record of the Month clubs of old. They're month to month, no strings attached. Good, awesome vinyl. If you don't like it, send it back. Cancel anytime. They won't be hounding you until the year 2025 trying to get their payment. Now is the time to listen to more vinyl. When you're stuck at home, just zone out and listen to your favorite music. And the easiest way to do that is with Vinyl Me Please. To sign up today, go to www.joinvmp.com slash A-N-W-D. Once again, that is www.joinvmp.com slash A-N-W-D. My guest this week is my homie, Matt McManus. He's back. We go all over the place in this one. We talk about his music, his upcoming TV show, a lot of gangster rap, psychedelics. Hell, this episode somehow even gets into performance-enhancing drugs and sports. We went all over the place. It's always a pleasure to sit down with Matt. And also, be sure to check out his new mixtape called Songs People Love on SoundCloud Now. It's a collection of remixed 80s and 90s hits with Matt working his magic over it. So be sure to check that out. Free of charge on SoundCloud right now. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, pop a cold one, and enjoy drinking buddies.
I was 21, there was this um, this bar where you could a, uh, you could ride a uh, you know a fake bull inside the bar, and the guy or girl that controls that bull, that's the best job because if you I mean if someone's an asshole, you could fling them off. If someone's hot, you can keep them on and have you know and, and have, have a them, nice you know, and slow. Ride. Yeah, man. Yeah, I just Dude, gotta go down. Hot. I just gotta go over to Saddle Ranch and apply there. Do they have one of those there? Oh yeah, the one on Sunset. Oh yeah. Oh man, I um. It's funny. The last time I was in Saddle Ranch, it was for uh, it was probably about a year ago. Someone passed away mm. that I knew, and they were one of the people who had their names uh, in the bar, like as a as a plaque. And so, and I only hung out there my first day in Los Angeles, and that that time, the third and only other time I was there was when I snuck in in the middle of the day and danced on the bar for a video. <laughs> you know that. They do bottomless mimosas and Bloody Marys every day until 3 p.m. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Dude, when this whole thing, when this whole shit show's over, let's make a date to do that. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Every once in a while, we'll just be like, oh, yeah, let's just roll through Saddle Ranch at like noon on a Monday. Oh, man. It's hot in L.A., Matt. Oh, I know. Fuck. Fuck. I've been sitting outside for the last hour smoking a cigar and then... Of course, while we're recording, I turn off the AC. So, same. That's that's why I'm sweating. Like, and here's the thing: my dad passed a lot of things down to me, but one of the more annoying things is that he's a sweater. Ugh. Like he would he would go outside on a Saturday to mow the lawn at six a.m. and he wouldn't stop sweating until nine p.m. Oh, and and that's and that's me. Like, uh, you know, I did some push-ups and stuff like an hour ago. And I'm still sweating, but I'm getting those talk. I'm, I'm putting toxins back in. I took toxins, you know, I, I work out so that I can eat and drink. Uh, I don't work out to look good. That happens by, by the grace of the hair gods. See, I just continue to try to be funnier to deal with the fat. I'm just getting fatter. But here's the thing, Matt, I haven't seen you in the flesh in over a year, but you look pretty goddamn good. Like, quarantine hasn't done done bad by you. It hasn't done great by me either. Fuck. Well, <laughs> why do you think the angle's here, man? Like, the- <laughs> how you taking big dumps? Oh yeah, yeah, me too. I put kimchi really heavily into my diet during this. I love kimchi, but it fucks you up. But it's it's good for you, and you know it's keeping me regular with all the other garbage I'm eating. Yeah, is it why is it good for you? I don't I know that it is, I don't know why. It's a probiotic. Oh, okay. 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 The distilled cabbage is a probiotic, and it's just fucking cabbage and spice. How could that be bad for you? Um I put it on hot dogs, dude. I've thought about it. I've thought about putting it in <laughs> ma- I've thought about putting it in mac and cheese. You know what? That's not a bad idea either. That's not a bad idea either. And I'm a dad, so me throwing random shit into mac and cheese. Is is something I do on on a fairly regular basis? Just trick your kid into eating healthier stuff. No, no, no. There's no way he's going to eat that. I'll just take his leftovers and put kimchi in it. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to be like, oh, it's good for you, buddy. Here you go. Try it. You want to hear something cool? This is like this is dad talk right here. But so I've been quarantining very seriously because my kid's uh, grandmother, his mom's mom lives in los angeles and she's high risk etc 
So I, I have had to make a lot of adjustments based on that and other things. Uh, you know, it's been an interesting couple of months, uh, you know, to say the least, as we all know, for, you know, it's universal. But I've been trapped in my apartment in Hollywood with a six-year-old boy for, you know, the better part of six months, you know. Um, and today we were just like, he's been playing Minecraft. I've been getting into Minecraft. And I was like, let's turn the TV off. Let's build something. He's like, well, what are we going to build? And I was like, let's go into your toy chest, which has not been touched in almost a year because he's been playing video games. And I found a box that a friend of mine gave me when he was moving out. And I never opened it. He told me there was a train set in there. And I just thought it was like your standard Christmas time train set, you know, but it's not, it's like Fisher Price's most expensive train set with like remote control, like like seven different remote controls for like seven different pieces. And it didn't work at all. So what I did today is I unscrewed everything and put it back in together, got everything working. I, I actually felt like a man and we made a, a set like a, like a, a YouTube worthy video set around my house going over and under couches, all kinds of shit. I've, you know, I've been, you know, trapped in this apartment just like a lot of other people. But, and as a dad today, I felt like it was a successful day because my kid left smiling because his dad put a train set together. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And now I'm talking to, you know, MS on, 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 on the interwebs. On the interwebs, the magical interwebs. I applaud you, man. You uh, you took this moment in stride. I mean, it seems in stride. You you're you're just as prolific and profound during quarantine than than if not if not more than when you were before this. Your access to people has probably changed, obviously. Oh, it definitely has. But it's a weird dynamic for me because I'm not doing a bunch of extra side hustles. I got so much more time to do shit, but I don't feel like I'm. I know consciously I'm more productive than I was. Like, I'm doing editing for my YouTube gaming stuff. I'm streaming Twitch three, four times a week at least. Oh, you're streaming Switch. It was just, okay, you told me that's why you told me I could stream Switch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm doing all that stuff. But because I have so much goddamn time, I feel like I'm not getting enough done. Mm-hmm. I, I, I completely identify with that. 110%. Yeah, especially when, you know, I had all the regular side hustles and all that stuff going on pre-pandemic. I'd be like, okay, I have these hours to knock out the edit of this week's and now we drink. I have this much time to record. Boom, get, I have to get it done in this time. I got yesterday's and now we drink, or today's and now we drink done late Tuesday night. But I was at it all fucking day because it was like, edit a little bit, dick around on YouTube, edit a little bit text some people, edit a little bit, play around on Instagram, edit a little bit. Yeah. It became an when all you say dick when you say dick around on YouTube, what does that mean to you? I mean yeah, fall, fall down rabbit holes into random ass videos, depending on I watch a lot a lot of like history videos. Hmm. Okay. Um uh, the guy who sold me this computer, there was a, a computer store up the block that's no longer there. It was like a secondhand Apple store where he just like refurbishes things and gives you all kinds of cool shit. He's no longer there. Um, but he gave, he was like, what do you like? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I can give you anything. And I was like, 
I want to record music and I want to edit videos. He's like, you got it, man. He's like, you like history? And I was like, sure. And he put all these awesome videos and documentaries standard on this, on this computer. I should send you some of the stuff. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, hey, I'm down. As long as it's not QAnon, I'm down. You know what? I, I don't know what that is just yet. I mean, I know, per, you know, peripherally what it is. I just, I've had, you know, I, I wrote an article recently that was like, we've been desensitized for the better and worse in the last six months more so than anything to the news in the sense that there are literally, there is from the Pentagon a statement saying we found out uh, otherworldly vehicles. Let's say, you know, the, the Pentagon released that statement, right? If everything else wasn't going on right now, if we haven't hadn't experienced the last six months and the reality surrounding it, we'd all be Jeff Goldblum in both Jurassic Park and Independence Day right now. But because we're so desensitized, you know, it, it just feels like it's the natural progression of things. You know, what act of the movie are we actually in right now? I don't know. I think we're and, still in act two. I don't think we're at resolution just yet. Uh, what if we're in a layered act three like Inception? Oh, please don't put me in Inception. I don't know how that movie actually ends. No one really knows how it ends. <laughs> like, does the top yeah, but, fall over or not? I don't know. Um, I've, I, I think I'm not going to tell you, but I've, I've read a lot about it. I've read I've a fair read amount it. about it too. It's just one of those things where like Christopher Nolan specifically left that as a do, does it or doesn't it. Yeah, man. Uh, who knows? And I, I, isn't it interesting that this, uh, Christopher Nolan and I have a weird dichotomy slash, I guess, synchronicity. I was in his house once. I think I told you that story. No, I don't it think you a- did. I never told you that story? No. Or oh, I drank a lot and it was a year ago and Okay, I'll t- quickly I'll tell you the story. It's a good it's a good one and that's what it is. So Tenet isn't coming out this summer in a theater and that's kind of like a defining thing for this moment. Like a Christopher Nolan movie film isn't coming out in a theater. And I know that like everyone in at at the studio was probably like, "You know what? Disney's doing all the live stuff, you know, doing all the streaming stuff. It's time. And obviously he shoots a lot of his films in IMAX. So he's just like, F you guys. This is a Christopher Nolan. Good. I'll get it. I'll accept that. But Batman's my favorite thing. Christopher, I've been, you know, if, if you like film, if you like thinking, Christopher Nolan films are for you. They are. Just don't pay too close attention to them sometimes because... If you start really looking at some of the plot holes, some of them got some pretty big plot holes. I, I'm, I'll be one of the first people to tell you that Interstellar's too long and they fucked up there. Like it's 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 a good movie, and they caught Matthew McConaughey on an interesting wave, pun intended. Like you know he's he was just off of True Detective, he, his brain was rewiring itself artistically and. Christopher Nolan's like, I need him in this film right now. Great call. Oh, the script, yeah. The, yeah the, um, and the, the script just wasn't all there um, for me. But anyway, uh, my first summer in Los Angeles, I was living with my best friend, Kim, and it was the 4th of July, which is my second favorite holiday, which is second to uh, St. Patrick's Day because my last name is McManus and I'm as Irish as they get and uh, but I'm only Irish from the waist up. 
And uh, she wakes me up on the 4th of July. And it was the first one away from my father. And it's a big deal being with him on the 4th of July. And she's like, I know you're bummed, but just get in the car. And I was like, where are we going? Where are we going? And she said, we're going to Paradise Cove. And I said, well, what's that? She said, it's a private gated community in Malibu. And I said, game on, let's go. So we get in the car. My buddy Bill's with us. Uh, my friend Lindsay's with us. And uh, and it's, it's funny 10 years later because their lives are also very interesting now. But regardless, we arrive into Paradise Cove. And it's a gated community. The gate rises. We're at the edge of America. And we have to park the car and a golf cart pulls up right away. And uh, my friend Jess, that was also with us, was dating this man that I had never met before. And you could tell from the second I saw him in a golf cart with his twisty mustache and his tattoos that he was unique. And we get in the golf cart and he said, we got to paint the golf cart. The golf cart parades in an hour. Someone needs to cook lunch. <laughs> and I said, and I said, I'm in. I can barbecue like no one. And I'm the best. And he said, great. The coolers next to the barbecue, we're going to paint the golf cart. Now, if you watched MTV Cribs and its heyday, Pamela Anderson did an episode where her, her beach house or her beach cabana slash house got looked at. And that was Paradise Cove. This is really a place for artists uh, to, to disappear. And so they're painting the golf cart. I'm barbecuing. And... I look at the bottom of the cooler adjacent to the barbecue and there's a chocolate bar. And I'm, and I'm, I'm a former fat kid. I love chocolate. So I take the chocolate bar. I eat the better part of half of it. And I barbecue, I barbecue. And a half hour later, the gentleman comes downstairs and he looks at me. He sees chocolate on my face. He sees the half eaten chocolate bar. And he says, did you just eat that? And I said, yeah, man. He said, how much? And I said, half. He was like, stop barbecuing. And I was like, why? He's like, have you ever done hallucinogenics? And I said, yeah, twice in college. Uh, I got drugged by my friends for, they were playing a joke of me and I hated it. And he was like, was it mushrooms? And I said, yes. And he said, you just ate nine people's worth of mushrooms. <laughs> this was at noon on the 4th of July, my first 4th of July in Los Angeles. And he, sa and he screams upstairs to everyone. He said, everyone get down here right now. We have a problem. Or we have an issue. He didn't say problem. Everyone surrounds me, my best friends, both old and new, and these other eclectic hippie type people. And he said, Matt just ate nine people's worth of mushrooms. It's too late for him to vomit. We got to eat the rest and we got to make it to the golf cart parade. He hugs me and he says, he's going to, I'm going to be okay. He said, embrace it. <laughs> and I look at my, and this, like, I was a real, like I had turned into in my late twenties as a pretty straight laced person in New York city before moving here. I moved here to like kick ass and take names. I had been running a hamster wheel that was just so fast and so harsh for so long that when I moved here to separate myself from the place that I loved, which was New York city, I, I came here all business and I really, and I conquered a lot very quickly because I just locked myself in my room and became attached to the idea of success, but I really didn't know what that meant back then. I just thought it meant proving the people that wronged me wrong. And every one of the golf carts in the golf cart parade were promoting movies and television shows that the people who lived inside 
Paradise Cove were producing or about to release. So there was like a Jurassic Park movie that was being promoted. So one of the golf carts was uh, a huge dinosaur. There was like an American themed movie coming out that Tom Hanks was executive producing. So there was an American themed golf cart. Everywhere I looked was a famous person. I had never been surrounded by that many successful and famous people. And I was on the most amount of mushrooms a human being can probably take. And this gentleman that we were with was promoting a documentary called Happy about happiness. And he was a Oscar nominated, maybe he won documentarian and he was a really awesome dude. And so was his brother. And so they had me pass They painted a happy face on the back of my back with no shirt on and had me hand out postcards to their film. And I walked right up to Howie Mandel, whose face was melting and his little goatee, whatever it is that he has on his face, started crawling around his face. And I looked at him dead in the face and I said, Howie Mandel, your face is fucked up right now. Whoops. And, And he was like, and he just laughed out loud. So we do the golf cart parade and we end up on the beach with surfboards and I see the Pacific and in all of its glory along the bluffs of Malibu with, you know, with my friends, I hop in the water. I hop out of the water. I felt like a God. And somehow we stumble onto a beach rave that Paris Hilton was throwing. And the most beautiful women and men were, that I had ever seen were congregating. I'm like, how was this even happening? The 4th of July. I mean, like, this is what's going on. There's a private beach rave. And we were all sitting on a bluff and I, I finally like just sit down. And I look around at everyone and I say, hey, guys, I'm cool. I'm not saying I'm cool like Patrick Swayze cool. Like I'm cool with the choices that I've made in my life because they've all added up to this moment. You know, I have all the new friends around me. I've braved the, the idea of conquering my, my fears and my dreams simultaneously. And here I was at the edge of America on its birthday as the sun was going down. And they were like, we get it, man. We get it. So we end up back in Paradise Cove and the fireworks start going off. And then I hear a woman, a woman yelling at a a young man. And it's Pamela Anderson yelling at like what was probably then her 17 year old son to stop drinking. And I I look at Pamela Anderson and I say, hey, Pam. She said, yeah, I'm like, well, it's the 4th of July. Let's calm down. She said, "Who, who are you? And I said, I'm Matt McManus. Let's watch the fireworks. And she smiled and she turned around and she watched the fireworks with me next to all of my friends. I'm coming down off the mushrooms. I didn't freak out once. I had the best day. My best friend, Kim, who ate mushrooms, she had like the opposite reaction. <laughs> but I, I referenced that when I, I was, I'm an ordained minister and I married her and her husband. And I said, when we took mushrooms this day, in uh, on the beach years ago she cried to me that she hasn't found her match yet etc well here he is and and then i married them so i worked it into the storyline regardless we end up back at the house we started that but i didn't go inside yet so i'm sitting inside the sun is down obviously the fireworks have gone off the high of the day was still kind of just vibrating inside me and then i'm sitting in this chair in front of a typewriter and i'm looking around and i see dvds i see comic books but I see a similarity between most of them. They're all Batman comic books. They're all Batman DVDs. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Then I look into the kitchen and there's a Batman poster. And I see like every Batman poster. When I turn around to the dude, I'm like, hey dude, what's with all the Batman paraphernalia? He said, 
this is not mine. And Kim, my best friend who knows me better than anything, who knows that I love Batman, was like, oh, shit, he doesn't know. And I'm like, no, what? And he's like, this isn't my house. And I said, well, whose house is it? He's like, my best friend's house. And he's like, and I was like, whose house is it? He said, it's Christopher Nolan's house. He's on the road promoting Inception. It had just come out in the theaters. And my brain exploded because I was sitting in the chair where some of the Batman movies were written. I was surrounded by, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that was inspired that that was and were inspiring to one of my heroes and a knucklehead from long Island somehow dreamt that he would arrive in Los Angeles at some point, And he was sitting in the chair that one of his favorite films was, was written in, you know, how does that, how is that even possible? How, you know, like th- th- these things don't happen to everybody, but you know, every once in a while they happen to me. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. No, you definitely have not told me that story. I would remember that story. Um, true story. His publicist called me after I made a blog post about it and told me to take it down. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. I get it. Like celebrities are a little weird about having the interior of their home discussed or because they all, they all without fail have fucking shrines to themselves in their houses. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Every time I'm in a major celebrity's home, I'm like, man, I'm not sure I'm actually egotistical enough to make it in this business. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a great point. Um, I think the key is this. Uh, and that's a, that's a really good thought. I mean, I feel, I feel the same exact thing every time that I'm in a place like that, to be honest with you. But there, there are different levels of it. I feel like... Your ego is something – there's a difference between ego and confidence, right? Right. But it's, it's, but there's, it's very uh, – there's a gray area. You know, your, your ego tells you false truths about who you are or how the world works. And, your, and confidence is the truth you build up about yourself over time that reminds you of who you are. But I don't know. I like to decorate my place with other people's art and other people's creations. I could not imagine – surrounding myself with reminders of my own achievements. You know what, you know what I've, you know what I've started to do is I take record holders, the stuff that you like put a record in and you could hang up and I put wins in them for a year, for one year. So like, for example, you came to my one man show. I put um, the postcard to that show. I had a really good audition once for uh a really big television show where I met someone that I'm going to have in my life for the rest of my life. So that day stands out for me. I went to Joshua tree and had a really great time. So I took a postcard from that. It's not just successful wins in regards to your profession. It's just things that really define your year for you. And and when you look at will make you smile. And so I think it's important to, to, to really celebrate some of the wins, but not to surround yourself with them. You're right. You know, uh, I have Robin Williams and Andy Kaufman and, and Fred Rogers pictures all over my house. And those are the things that will perpetually inspire me. There's no question. I, I have a hard time talking about myself in, at gatherings, you know, and, and in Los Angeles, one of the first things that happen when you walk into a room is what's going on with you. What do you got going on? Are you, are you cooking right now? And to be frank with you, man, I just want to tell you what my favorite sandwich is. And I want you to tell me the same thing, because that tells me where you're from. If you or if you or if you don't eat meat, 
because that's, you know, to be honest with you, I don't associate with many vegetarians. <laughs> I love <laughs> my friend came out of the closet like two years ago and he was like, I told a bunch of, I've told some people, I'm sorry. I, I'm, you know, you're kind of late to the party. I'm like, listen, man, to be, to be honest, I could care less because I love you. And that's all that matters. But if you told me you were a vegetarian or you were vegan, we'd have a problem. No, that is, that is always my bane when I meet an unattractive vegan who's like, oh, she's, <laughs> she's kind of into me. Um, fuck. One of the things I like to do on dates is go out for Korean barbecue because it's a great date spot. Oh, but, yeah. There's a, lot, there's a lot of action involved. Like, hey, look, I'm grilling meat over a fire for you, girl. Like, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. because it's a slower meal. You got time to talk and bullshit as you know, the food's cooking. You could dip shit. Yep. Yep. It's, you know. And if you're uh, vegan, what am I going to do with that? Like, um, here's some kimchi for you. Um, I'm going to stuff my face full of meat now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're going to leave smelling like dead animal because that's the way barbecue works. Yeah. Um, you, you frequent, and I follow you, obviously, but you frequent like legit barbecue spots, though. Oh, yeah. I love America. Los Angeles. And like sneaky little places that I just don't know. So give me give me your like top two slash three cornbread spots. You know, I mean, give it to me. Hands down. My favorite barbecue spot in L.A. is the Horse Thief in downtown L.A. Okay. Is that by where like the strip clubs are? No, no. It's uh, in Grand Central Market. Oh, okay. Okay. Is run by two Austin transplants. And the brisket has a perfect peppery bark on it. So and, they're just putting salt and pepper on that and smoke. Oh, yeah. It's so good. And when I first started going there, they were only really open for like two hours past lunch. They opened at lunch. Two hours past lunch, they were closed because they'd run out Come of Come and get it. Yeah. Right. Like, yes. That is, if you're talking like a traditional American barbecue, that is the first thing you got to judge a place by. If they sell until they're out of meat. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Any place who has the full menu all day is suspect. Oh, my God. I love that. Well, also, in, and the second judge, and it's, and this is going to be uh, funny because it's a little bit hypocritical, is the coleslaw. See, I'm not a slaw person, so. Oh, you're not? Okay, no. that's fine. Not a slaw person. And I, that's actually not really attached to barbecue I'm on long island where i grew up diners had coleslaw so you, you would judge a diner by its coleslaw definitely definitely i could see that yeah just i've never been a slaw person have you is, have you ever i'm sure you have have you been to Cantor's? of course of course sure. what do you, I, I've lived yeah. in, i'm jewish and i've been in los angeles for 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> what do you get when you go to Cantor's? pastrami on rye Yep, yep, there you go. And what's the bar adjacent to Cantor's? That's like the... Uh, it's the Kibbutz like, uh, Room. I love that spot. Oh, yeah. Duke GNR used to play there back in the day. I was about to say, I told my son that today. We were driving home, and uh, uh, and Paradise came on, Paradise City, and I was like, this is this is LA's band. You know, it really, it really is. I mean, it, there's a lot of bands that I could say that really kind of hold that house, but... He goes to Cantor's with me. We got the cookies there. Oh, yeah. Like, you got to get the black and white cookies. That's what I'm talking about. And so I was like, you know, that bar that's next to there that I've walked you into a couple of times just to like see what was going on. I was like, Gun- this band that we're listening to right now kind of like made their their bones there, you know. And 
he didn't. He usually tells me to turn a lot of music off when it's on the radio. He did not tell me to turn Guns N' Roses off. Awesome. Um, what a voice on that guy. Huh? Yeah. Too bad the ego out is bigger than the voice. I mean, there's a lot of instances of that in rock and roll music. Yeah, but yeah. Pete Axel took that to a whole nother level. The fact that he was routinely late for shows or would walk off stage if something bothered him. Oh, I didn't. I see. I forget those things. Yeah, everyone. Told, yeah. Everyone forgets about the bad shit that came with GNR. Mm. Speaking of a, one of the YouTube rabbit holes, I fell down. There's a channel called Weird History, and one of the things they covered in one of the videos I saw recently was a apparently there was a full on beef between Nirvana and Guns N' Roses. Get the hell out of here! Like, it makes sense. They almost had a backstage brawl at the MTV Movie Awards in '92. Is there like an oral history of that? It's Weird History did a video on it. Oh my god, I, I definitely have to read that. Oh, I want to know if Dave. Gro- I want to know. I want to know if uh, what was the uh, uh, Pat Smear. Pat Smear. I want to know, know if he got involved. Well, and this is the MTV Movie Awards where Chris Novoselic hit himself in the head with his bass. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Like it was all things that like apparently the infamous Metallica Guns N' Roses tour where Axel walked off stage and they had a riot. GNR had asked Nirvana to open for them on that, and Nirvana's like, no, and then publicly came out about talking shit about GNR. Oh, wow. Like, Kurt mm-hmm. Cobain talked shit about Axel doing shit like that, because this is the heyday of Axel doing shit like that. Man, how old do you think Axel was at that point? He was probably in his mid-20s. Um, by 92, 94. Late 20s. Late 20s, early 30s by that point. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, what, I, a- Appetite's in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I watched Terminator 2 Judgment Day again recently, which you should, if, you, if you're listening, you should revisit. I mean, that's just, that's a, that's a, that, that's a great film. Pete Cameron uh, right there. Pete Cameron. He comes around every so often and kind of topples people. Everybody, you know, why, why was, I was talking, on my podcast, I was, talking to uh, a graphic designer who does a lot of cool films. And I was like, I remember when T2 came out, how that was revolutionary. And then I was like, I remember when Avatar came out and that was revolutionary. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a common denominator, which is James Cameron here. And I'm very skeptical about they're like doing four Avatar, three or four Avatar movies right now. And I'm so like, they what? say. So they say. It's been ten years. It's been twelve. I, it was two thousand eight. Oh my god! It's been twelve years. Yes, I'm sure that there's amazing stuff going on there, but the world isn't invested like it's Star Wars for you to make one film and then make four subsequent sequels simultaneously for the next decade and a half. Now, well, and on top of it, even as invested as everyone was in Star Wars. Everyone shat on the new movies. Mm-hmm. Everyone shat on the new movies, and justifiably so. Mm-hmm. 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 You don't even have the fucking rabid fan base that Star Wars does. That even though everyone shat on the movies, everyone still went and saw it in the theaters. One smart thing they did, though, is Disney. I guess bought the rights to Avatar, so when there is like an Avatar world in Disney. They are planting seeds and Easter eggs in the in, in the eyes and hearts of of the youth in America in the parks. Not like that means any that's doing any good right now during the quarantine. <laughs> uh, 
um, side note, I will say this about Disney. Now, I love Disney. I used to work there when I was a kid. But Disney creates more divorces than happy families. Um, the park? When you go to, when you, yeah, when you, I, I worked there. I saw so many families evaporate right in front of my eyes. My family being one of them, too, like my parents. The last vacation we went on as a family before my parents got divorced was at Disney World. And my dad kicked a hole in the wall and couldn't get it out because he was so angry at my mom. But he was also probably angry at the lines we were waiting in. The prices. The, the prices. Fuck? I mean, you, you, yeah. yeah you, and I love Disney. I love the ethos of the company to an extent. But those theme parks are, are designed to piss you off unless you're a millionaire. And you, you know, it's just the way that it goes. Right. And it's just designed to separate you from your money. Yeah, you go. Oh, that's a that's a profound way of looking at it. It's not yours anymore. I'll get, take it. Um, let me take your money. There's right. it's theft. Yeah, the mouse the mouse owns it now. I saw Mickey Mouse. I shouldn't say this. I'm going to say it. I saw Mickey Mouse take its head off and smoke a cigarette. Hey, it's hot in that suit. He it's needs some relief. I'll tell, yeah, I'll tell you this. At Disney World, when you're a cast member, not an employee, you're a part of the show. There are things you have to follow. For example. You have to point with two fingers or your whole hand if you're pointing in any direction. If you point with one finger in any direction, you can get fired because it's disrespectful. Um, if you have sideburns, they can't be any lower than your earlobe. If they are, you get fired. Like there are cameras everywhere. Just to give you an example, I was in the mess hall behind the scenes on my break, and I was draw. I worked in the animation studio, and I was drawing with the pencil on a table, Mickey Mouse just because I was learning how to draw him from my job and someone just tapped me on the shoulder and said, you finished that ear that you're drawing, you're fired. Like there are just eyes and ears everywhere. And I, and you're supposed to smile from ear to ear the whole time you're working. And you know what, when you train yourself to smile, it's easy to, but I saw people approach me because I'm pretty approachable when it comes to someone who's having a hard day, you could just see on my face that you can approach me if you're having a problem with your life and I'll give you some, some advice. It's just kind of my thing. So people would just come up to me behind the scenes and be like, oh, my girlfriend's leaving me or I have the gout. And we would be talking and they would be crying as we're walking on set or on stage where there are these secret entrances. And the second we pass that threshold, they wipe their face, they change their voice and they smile from ear to ear. And it's like, we weren't having that conversation. And I've been in LA on set as an actor for 10 years in New York for 10 years. I've never seen more Oscar worthy performances than people that work for Disney world that are walking from their break back to work. True story. The show must go on. That's it, baby. And it was magic, man. Disney world, uh, Orlando, Florida, 2001, right after nine 11. No one was going there because uh, Osama bin Laden said that the second place that he would hit would be Disney World. So I was doing an internship transplanted to Orlando and living in places with one another, and there was no supervision. And it was the funnest goddamn thing I'd ever done. I mean, I met people. For, I, was, I, I lived with this guy from Puerto Rico who was Don Juan. I mean, this was before cell phones. This was before everyone had a, a beeper, really. And I was just a fat kid from college that liked Snickers bars. And I lived with this guy who just would get home from work and the phone would ring off the hook. Hey, Stacy. Yeah, it's me. I just got home. Why don't you come over at 730? Hold on. I got a beep. Yo, Jen, what's going on? Yeah. How about I come over to your apartment around like 9, 930? Hold on. I got a beep. And the, and the calls would just come in for these women. 
And I had no idea what I was doing with girls. And I just watched this guy rule, you know, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot from him living there, but I also learned a lot about Disney. And I still love that, that company. I love their movies. You can't not, even if you say you do, you don't. It's just the way that it goes. Um, well, it's crazy. But there's some. I remember the time where, like, a Disney live action movie was like, "Oh no, I want no part of this." Disney made such bad live action movies for so long. Oh my god, let's talk about them. Um, who shitty shitty bang bang? Well, you, uh, you got the old school stuff like Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Shitty Shitty Bang Bang, Mary Poppins. That stuff's good. I can't believe I just thought of Shitty Shitty Bang Bang. I just <laughs> I can't believe that came. In. I I can't. I just can't. I, how the hell? Where did that come from? Oh God! The, Childhood the trauma. <laughs> you know what? That movie is that movie is torment. It is. It's not a good movie. It's scary. Well, Dick Van Dyke is he's still alive? Right. I think so. I hope wow, he is. He, Man, but there's uh, I'm trying to remember, but they're like, you know, there's a bunch of in the 80s and 90s, a bunch of live action movies with like talking animals and shit like that, that were all just not good. Did Henson collaborate with Disney? Like, I think the Muppet Christmas Carol is also a Disney film. I could be wrong. Quite possibly. Said they have a tendency to acquire good properties. I mean, just look at it. They fucked up with Star Wars. Let's just be real for a second. Oh, yeah. They they fucked up with Star Wars. But they also had a long history of like, what's hilarious about Disney is they had a long history of taking IP that was in the public domain, Robin Hood, Snow White, you know, all these old fairy tales that were in the public domain. And our cop- our trademark and copyright laws are so fucked in America, specifically because of Disney not wanting Mickey Mouse to fall into public domain. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And that's because... I'm sure you know this too, because you're a nerd like me, but Walt, this is a great story. Walt Disney was a failed animator. I mean, he had made some comic strips and stuff, but he hadn't really gotten his flag in the ground yet. And he created a character called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And I believe he was in New York trying to secure the future of this character that he believed was kind of his, his Mickey Mouse and when he was in New York and he hated flying, he lost the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. The company that he was working with stole the IP from him right out from underneath him. So he lost the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And he was on a train from New York back to Los Angeles, back to Burbank. And he was drinking scotch. And he was sitting in his seat and he took the glass that he was drinking from off a a beverage napkin when there was a circle there and he drew that circle and then he drew two other circles and he scribbled some other things on there and he just put it in his pocket and his wife later that week once he got back to california was doing his laundry and emptied the pockets and found the beverage napkin and she said to him what's this and he said that's just some mouse i drew on the way home and he was defeated. He, you know, the thing he had been fighting for was gone. And he said, it's just a mouse I drew. And he's like, she was like, I like it. I love it. We should name a Mickey after Mickey Rooney, my favorite actor. And he said, okay. And the rest is history. 
I mean, think about that. Yeah. I mean, just think, I mean, uh, he was defeated. The thing he had been working for for five years was ripped out from under, stolen from him. You know, he had probably, you know, he probably had a, a, you know, a couple of bucks in the bank, but not much. And this on a beverage neck, what are the things you and I, right? We drink, right? Yeah. Cocktail we, and we love bars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I write more. I have a file of beverage napkins that I, that I've going to keep the rest of my life. I mean, granted, it's been half a century at this point since the company was uh, made, and uh, if not more, definitely more. And um, you have to pay attention to your thoughts, man, and your beverage napkins. <laughs> many, many great American innovations have come to us via cocktail napkin. I couldn't name any other ones off the top of my head, but I would be willing to you know, bet a chunk of my kingdom for it. That it's a thing. I that, bet some of the best poetry. The best poetry uh, in, is definitely the child of a beverage nap. Oh, yeah. I, I would say. Hell, if you're a fan of Bukowski, I'm sure there is so much stuff that Bukowski ended up doing on oh cocktail. Oh, my God. That's a great point. Great point. Tarawak. Tarawak. Oh, yeah. Tarawak. For sure. Like all those old Ginsburg, like all those old school guys probably had like the beginning of a story or beginning of a poem written on a cocktail napkin that just fucking came to them. I, I, I take notes on my phone. I hate doing it. I just can't, I, I just, I don't, I don't love doing it. I should say, but I'll always, I'll, you know, I have, if you look around my apartment, which you could right now, there's stuff written on everything, you know, everywhere. When inspiration hits, you got to fucking capture the, I'm sure this has happened to you. It's happened to me a hundred times. Like, Oh, that's a great idea for the X thing. I'm totally going to do that tomorrow. And then the next day it's like, what the fuck was that? Um, I've done, I was doing that for so long in my life that that's when the dry erase board entered my life. So, it, and I, if, 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 if my brain's like, that's dry erase, that's dry erase board, a bowl, I put it on the dry erase board in bold letters. And so that when I wake up, I look at it and I know that I took it seriously the night before. For me, a lot of times it would come to me like, in bars, being out with people. And I'll occasionally write myself a note on my phone. The next morning, it's just like, I don't even know what the fuck that means. I get that too. What the fuck? I'm d- a, I'm dyslexic. B, I have horrible handwriting. So, you know. Well, I'm right there with you. And C, I was probably drunk and thought it was a lot funnier drunk than it was when I was sober. Yeah, contextually, things are funnier. Oh, yeah. It was just like, that was hilarious. Oh, that doesn't even that doesn't even make sense what the f- okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. file that away it's just how it goes sometimes it's how it goes my man it's how it goes but um i want to talk to you about what i'm uh, i'm about to release either tomorrow morning or next monday Ooh, what uh, you got going? Right. so last we spoke i had just released some music and that kind of turned into some other things. Um, but that was really cathartic. It was like a, cathar- a very cathartic music project. It was about my childhood. Then I turned it into a one-man show. And th- that kind of covered uh, a certain portion of time in my year last year. But then I was approached by a couple of different people creatively to continue making music. I never really considered to keep going. But I 
have, and I've, I've, I finished a complete album that is mixed and mastered and amazing. And it's called classical music. And it covers a lot of ground in terms of genre inside hip hop over the last 30 years. It really kind of encapsulates a lot of the things that have taken place. And there's a lot of hilarious and ridiculous songs on there, but that's not what I'm releasing. I've created with my partner, the Baker, who's a, a beat maker, loops and songs of of popular 80s and 90s songs and i've made a summer mixtape that a really great dj by the name of dj soul work has mixed together a la kind of like a 1990s uh summertime uh hip-hop mixtape hell yeah and it's um it's 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 meant to be enjoyed in a party atmosphere it's meant to be nostalgic 80s and 90s gems from ace of Base Nirvana. Oh no, not um, Ace of Base. Len, uh, no, just trust me on this one. Well, no, no, you, Spice Girls. Well, uh, tell me about it, but I'll, I'll tell you why. Oh no, Ace of Base. When you're t- after you tell me about it, just things, just things that men and women from our generation. It's kind of woven together in a classic mixtape style. My name is MCM. Obviously, that's just my last, the first three letters of my last name, but also the acronym Man Crush Monday. Um, which I'm just, I'm using creatively. So I'm either going to drop it tomorrow morning. I've put a ton of work into it and it was, my album was done and it's wonderful, but it wasn't the time to release it because it was when all of these things were taking place this summer. And the last thing the world needs right now is a, 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 another white rapper just dropping an album. And so when that was happening, oh, I mean, Matt, you also, you should not give people an excuse to get together and party right now. You should not do that. Do not encourage yeah. people to get together in large groups to listen to your music. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. So the album, the the album is done and it has been, and and I'm putting a lot more creative thought into how I will release that. But in the interim, I've really developed the skill for rapping. I've gotten to be a, a fantastic rapper. I'm the best rapper in Los Angeles. There was another guy that I did the video game thing with that said he was good, but I'm better than him. There's no question. I'm releasing this mixtape. It's going to be very fun to listen to. It's about 20 minutes long. The, the gentlemen and, uh, that I've been working on it with me and the, the men and women that have been designing the art for it, everyone is kind of working very cohesively because they believe in, in the art and they believe in the humor of it all. It's all very funny. It's all very approachable. It's all, uh, very, it's all something that is very reminiscent of things that we used to listen to and hear when we were much younger, but it incorporates a contemporary element, which means that you still have a horse in the race. If you're in your late thirties, early forties, and I'm the jockey. So just get on and, you know, we'll ride bareback until the sun sets. Um, So songs people love, it'll be out either tomorrow morning or the following Monday. And it's a summer album. It's a summer mixtape for you to love and listen to. Uh, I would love for you to go to my SoundCloud and, and listen to it, and you go to my Instagram, which is at Maddie P. McManus, and the link will be in the bio. Oh, so with the early plugs, with the early plugs. We be plugging, dog, but oh, I, just, yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Yeah, because I'm getting the, tonight I'm getting the final mix of it from the, the DJ, DJ Soulwork, and he's a wonderful dude. And he's been scratching and, and mixing the whole thing together with effects and, and everything. And my partner, the baker that made all the beats, is really excited that it's going to be coming out. So I've been extremely productive during this quarantine in a lot of different arenas. I've, oh, yeah. had, articles pub- I've had articles published. Uh, I'm selling a television show right now that is um, – a comedy-based prison reform TV show. 
about food about food um okay you're gonna have to go into that i just want to make a real quick point on ace of base real quick super quick but then i want to hear go, all go, of- go 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 you know they're nazis right oh i didn't i did not know that yeah the the ace of base is a bunch of white supremacists i'm sorry i didn't know that yeah why is it the whole world was dancing to them for I know, 20 it, years ago uh i think it was vice or rolling stone had a whole article of like how a bunch of white supremacists got the world to dance in 1994 or whatever it was holy shit yeah. that's some stuff yeah it's it's a whole thing the name ace of bases is the name of the nazi submarine base in france Holy cow. The the I forgot what dude's name is, but a couple of the founders of Ace and Base were previously in like full on white supremacist bands. And then they got together and like oh, let's create a, a band oh. where we where we secretly have this thing that we were doing and we're just gonna get everyone to dance about it. That's some shit. Oh yeah, it's super fucked up. Uh let me see and I, think about the song the sign. I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's uh nothing's gonna drag you up and bring you into the light where you belong. Yep. What the hell? Uh, let's see if I can pull this up real and, quick. And that's the golden nugget of this episode that you blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, let's there we there it is. Do you see that, Maddie? Holy cow. This is from 2013. Do you watch Dark on Netflix? I haven't yet. You were the second person told me that I need to watch it. I just finished it. It's incredible. And I don't binge watch TV. You got to watch it. It's I'm going, I'm going um, to, but yeah, look at this. Like fucking, it's fucking crazy. Holy. Uh, of course, Vice figured this out. Uh, Vice covered it. Cracked covered it. Like a bunch of people covered it. For the audio audience, I pulled up the Vice article from 2013, Ace of Bases, Secret Before Nazi Pass. Before he founded Ace of Base, Ulf Ekberg was a neo-Nazi skinhead. That's the first sentence in this whole piece. Yep. Yep. In the, written, by Benjamin, written by Benjamin Shapiro, rightfully so. Yeah. It, it, uh. <laughs> well, thank you for that insight, and I apologize for putting that song in my mixtape. You didn't know. It's crazy. 20 years later, 20 plus years later, how many people don't know that? I mean, I used to French kiss girls to that music. I didn't know that they were. Nobody. In those days, nobody fucking knew. Believe me. I thought the sign was a fucking jam. Yeah. Me three. Oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you for that insight, dude. I mean, I not insight information. Sorry for, uh, sorry for shitting on your new mixtape that it's coming out. Just nah, you didn't shit on it. You didn't shit on it. I I, I didn't know, and uh, it's it's the least. It's my least favorite song on the mixtape. Maybe maybe that track will fall um, off somewhere. But, yeah. but on a more pleasant note, tell me about this new TV show you're doing. I can't talk. I can't give you too many details, but it's a comedic food show. Believe it or not, based around the redemption of former inmates. That's awesome. And using culinary expertise that they that they taught themselves behind bars, um, specific to their area of America or the world. And as they win in the competitions, they are able to win possibly a full scholarship to a big culinary institute. 
that's awesome. So, because, um, uh, yeah, not on a serious, not trying to make it on a serious note. That is one of the biggest problems in America is we, our crime is about punishment, not rehabilitation. And you are giving these people a, the ability to be rehabilitated, to go back into society and contribute. That's awesome. It's it's wonderful and 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 inspiring every at every turn that it's it's actually continuing to move forward. Obviously, prison reform is a key topic in a lot of what's been going on right now. And there are people in America that love food. There are people in America that love entertaining people. But a lot of the pushback that we got prior to this moment as a team was that, ooh, you're working with inmates. Oh, it's risky. And we were like, you don't understand these amazing stories and people. And we are uplifting. We're, we're putting, we're shining a searchlight and a spotlight on these amazing, amazing humans that have taught themselves a skill all by themselves. And also, like you watch uh, The Bachelor, right? And the second that or anything like it. Anyone on a reality show is like, I'm here because my brother's obese, or I'm here because I stubbed my toe, or I'm here because my parents are divorced, or I'm here because of, like, shut the fuck up. I don't care. I, I don't care about that. The fact that your brother was obese has no, no bearing on the fact that you're trying to get a stranger on television to marry you. So shut the fuck up. Right. There, there are some stories out there that need to be told. Well, because uh, they can, because they they can change the world. Hell yeah! You know? And on top of it, oh, it's a big risk to work with inmates. It's a big risk to work with artists. Artists are unreliable people. Mm, yeah, <laughs> in a lot of yeah, cases. Gonna, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so I, we've, as a team, been very excited about this project for quite some time. And it seems that it's moving forward right now, again, in Los Angeles or in any profession, really, but mainly in my experience in Los Angeles. It doesn't necessarily mean that things are, are moving the direction you're seeing and they move at the pace they do. But the fact that I'm able to have momentum like this during the pandemic has been inspiring because the food's amazing. I've tried it. And because to be honest with you, these people are at times tragic, but they are funny people as well. And I'll, I'll keep you posted on the progress there. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. What's crazy is you're bringing together like the two industries really an ex-con can uh, get into when they get out of prison. You can get into entertainment or the culinary arts mm-hmm. are pretty much, unfortunately, the only places that people that have are ex-felons can end up. Mm-hmm. We hear the word redemption, right, all the time. You hear it in church more so than anywhere else, but unfortunately, it's the Christians that don't even understand the word. And so it's time to really explore the journey of redemption in a way that's approachable, that's not inside a Bible. I agree. I agree. At this point, I belong to a religion that I created called the cartoon, but we can get into that at another time. Oh, no, no. I, I, I'm curious about that. You can't just drop that and run away from it. Come on. Um, and in, inside the cartoon, anything can and will happen. An anvil can drop from the sky and land on your best friend. Um, the colors can change from black and white to color. Villains can become friends. Friends can become villains. Crazy shit can happen. At the end of the day, the sun will go down and rise again, and the, a new episode will begin. Now, that doesn't necessarily say that there's a deity somewhere that you have to worship. It just means that my reality, the way that I 
perceive reality is very much like Roger Rabbit, which brings this conversation full circle back to Disney. Well, I'm hoping that Judge Doom doesn't exist in this world. I, I, I totally agree with that. Is that Christopher Lloyd? It was, yeah. Oh, man. Christopher Lloyd. Uh, What's really who's the who, who's the sidekick in Back to the Future? Doc Brown or or Michael J. Fox? If you really think about it, it might be Doc Brown. It sadly is. Mm-hmm. 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 What's speaking of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? What's messed up is if you think about it, that movie is is essentially Chinatown for children. I've never seen Chinatown. How have you never seen Chinatown? I, I, I there's a couple of classics I haven't seen, and that's one of them. The other one is Deer Hunter. Well, watch Chinatown before you watch Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter is a great movie, but the pacing is real slow at times. Yeah, I, you know what? And it's funny, like Chinatown's like they teach that as like the best screenplay in, in film school, apparently. And I still haven't watched it. Well, spoilers for a, a 60, 50, 60 year old movie at this point. Part of the reason that Chinatown is such a great screenplay is the bad guy gets away with it at the end. Mm. Okay. Okay. Okay point taken uh, I'll, I'll stream it and watch it tonight actually i got nothing else to do <laughs> it sucks and that is a interesting question because it's like oh this phenomenal piece of art is made by someone who is a predator and a problematic human being it's who a, made chinatown polanski oh okay i get it so it's one of those things where like how do we as a, a society like we're getting all serious and shit on this what's supposed to be a funny show how do we as a society separate the monster from their art well i mean here's the thing um we all love an anti-hero right we don't all love an anti-hero but there are characters in films that are bad that we root for you know uh timothy shamalan uh, that's a horrible name uh, was the, you ever see the movie uh the girl next door it's like 20 years about oh timothy uh, yeah, let's go. To, of course. Yeah, no, no. no. So Tim, Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant. He always plays that kind of character where you. I mean, I, I'm I'm equating Timothy Oliphant to 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 Polanski. That's not true. I, I yeah, you're right. It's funny. How do you separate that? I mean, Mike Tyson bit someone's ear off, and he was a treacherous not treacherous was a a, a very deviant person for he a was long a period rapist. of time in a Convic- lot of regards, and admit a convicted, oh, convicted, ra- I didn't convicted know rapist. Yeah. No. And I will laugh. And th- I will laugh my ass off at Mike Tyson's mysteries. Yeah, and honestly, people are rejoicing for Mike Tyson's like comeback right now. You know, we like redemption, but we don't like experiencing the path to it. It's crazy. It's it seems like we like redemption a lot more in professional athletes than in any other sphere. Tiger Woods. People love Tiger Woods again. Yeah. I really didn't hate him to begin with. I mean, whatever. Uh, you know who who should never really have a resurgence is the guy who has one testicle that lied to the world. Lance Armstrong? Yeah. Uh, I disagree. Okay, fine. Give me why. I don't know everything, so tell me why. Because when they disqualified him for doping, for winning the Tour de France, they had to go down to like 14th place to find someone who pissed clean. Everyone was doing it. Okay. 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 Well, that's a good point. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's one of those things of like, I think in athletic competitions where it is not a combat sport or people don't get hurt like football, we should allow athletes to juice to the gills. Baseball is much more entertaining. (laughs) Juice to the gills. 
<laughs> baseball is so much more entertaining when Mark McGuire and fucking Sammy Sosa were just blasting him out of the park. Yeah, this is true. This like, is true. No one gets hurt there. These athletes decide to put their bodies on the line by taking PEDs. Let them fucking do it. Let them all fucking do it. Yeah, all right. Okay, I yeah. agree. Football? Yeah, you don't want guys playing football on PEDs because they are directly impacting other players and injuring them. You don't want people doing PEDs in mixed martial arts because, or boxing because it's a combat sport. It's impact. You could ruin someone's life. Hell, uh, v- Vitor Belford, when he was on escalated levels of TRT, kicked Michael Bisping in the head so bad that he ended up losing his eye over it. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh okay. yeah. So, yeah, we don't want to see PEDs in sports like that. But baseball? Track and field? Cycling? Golf? Fucking shoot up. Take whatever pills you fucking want. Make it entertaining. I'm with you. But Lance Armstrong, when people were coming after him, was getting those people's reputations bashed. Like He was fucking with the people that were fucking with him to the extent where his lies were permeating other arenas that that he he was going so far beyond just being guilty for taking these things where he was trying to take down the people that were trying to take him down. But, but he should have just been like, nah, it's not happening. Relax. But the thing about it is, I don't think it was right. I'm not condoning it, but I understand why. Because okay. his team was sponsored by the U.S. Postal Service. Because of him cheating, I believe became ding, a, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it became a federal crime at the point where he was caught cheating because of they took U.S. you know federal money. If you ever want, like, Dan, oh, so yeah, to d- deflect and get the fuck out of it the best he could was a survival thing. I don't condone it. It wasn't right. But man, you know, you know some shit that I don't know. I, fuck. I purely know that one because of hearing Lance Armstrong on Rogan a couple of years ago. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So it, it's all situational. But yeah, the, what, what possible reason do we have to not let non-combat, non-impact athletes not fucking take steroids, take PEDs? You know, why not? What about, like, what about race car drivers? Do you think they take them too? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I am sure that those guys are probably taking amphetamines or to help with reaction time. Right. I mean, I should Google to see what the fuck NASCAR, if any fucking policy they have for drug testing, they may not even have one. um, They they probably don't. Hey, we got the internet in front of us. We can find out. Does NASCAR drug test? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the second ding, ding, ding of the night. Does NASCAR drug test? I'm going to pour myself a drink. I'll be right back. All right. Well, I will come back with the answer once you are back and we're back. And Maddie has done a wardrobe change. You know. As you do. You know how it goes. I do. I do. You so know NASCAR, how we do. NASCAR yes. actually has a drug testing policy. But it's after the races. <laughs> no, it's before and after. It's actually I'm, pretty. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All NASCAR uh, drivers at, at track crew members and officials and officials must pass a drug test from approval lab 90 days prior to applying for their NASCAR license. NASCAR can ask any member to submit to a drug test at any time for reasonable suspicion, or conduct random drug tests on event weekends. And it could be any event. It could be like a marriage. It could be anything. (laughs) It's like, you know what? We heard that your aunt's getting married. We got a drug test you. Pissing the cup, dog. But here's Uh, the thing. Here's what's tested. NASCAR's policy states, NASCAR members are prohibited from using, 
having in their system possessing, purchasing, selling, and or participating in the distribution of any drug that is illegal to possess, use, and or distribute by the laws of the United States of America or any of its 50 states, regardless of the amount at any time illegal acquisition or illegal distribution of any prescription or over-the-counter medication are strictly, are strictly prohibited at any time. So you could be on fucking diet pills as long as a doctor gives you a script. Mm. But weed, weed, because it's still federally illegal and illegal in a bunch of states, for just having a dime bag could get you kicked out of NASCAR. Isn't it crazy that weed is federally illegal and and still and at the same time, mushrooms is legal in like three or four places in America right now, right? It's getting there. It's getting decriminalized. I think uh, Oregon had it on the ballot to actually make it legal. I think Oregon passed it this year or last year. God, when that when that gets legalized, the world would change for the goddamn better. I hope so, because, man, I enjoy shrooms. I, I mean, listen, after that one time uh, that we spoke about earlier, I make it an I make it an annual thing. Hell yeah! I mean, I, I, I mean uh, to be honest with you, I feel like my brain is a rough piece of wood, and once a year, I need some sandpaper, and the sandpaper is is that. And I don't, you know, I don't get fucking crazy. I just, I get to a place. It's, it, it, and I don't do it to see Smurfs coming out of the trees. I do it because it's a great conversation with myself, and you know, and and the world. They should you know? do it for both. It's. it's Smurfs coming out of the shoes a lot of fun. You know what, man? I've never been so hallucinogenic that I've seen shit like that. That's a lie. I accidentally <laughs> took mescaline. I <laughs> I accidentally took mescaline when I was in high school. And um I was on the phone on a rotary phone with my friend with my back turned towards the front door of the house party that I was in, and a cop walked in and I didn't know it. And I was just like, dude, Ali's face just turned into the devil. And then Jesus, I think I'm going to die. And I, I turn around and there's a cop looking at me. And then I end up running upstairs and hiding under my friend Allie's parents' bed for the next three hours. And then I hear three hours later, where the fuck did Matt go? And I'm like, I'm, I, I, are the cops gone? And they're like, yeah, the cops are gone. <laughs> I've been up here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and to be high on uh, Mescalin isn't man. even a crime, but you probably weren't in the right headspace to realize that. Yeah, man. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. But yeah, man, um, I've done a lot of reading about hallucinogenics. I've done like, you know, about about, you know, Indian shamans here in America, but also in South America that have taken people for decades and decades ritualistically into the into the would desert. Would you go to ayahuasca? Or, would I go to one ayahuasca? I wouldn't go. Yes, I would. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't take like the Coachella ayahuasca, if that makes any sense. Well, no, I, I mean, I mean like, like really go down into the fucking South American rainforest and actually like. 100 percent my friend my friend nick palizzi who who wrote a book called the sacred science i went to college with this guy and he just kind of devoted himself to wellness and he took a whole bunch of people from with different ailments both physically emotionally and mentally into the desert uh the the, the jungles and made a documentary about it and then wrote a, a book subsequently that's like a national bestseller and he, he healed most of these people of their things uh, based on ayahuasca and other, other remedies as well. I, I would 100% do it. I don't know. You can do it in LA. Apparently like there are places in Venice and whatnot where you can go. And I'm just, I would, be, sus- I would be so suspect of that. 
You guys got to go to Gary's house in Venice. It's, well, it's a, <laughs> no, thank you. DMT is you know? still a controlled substance in the States. So anyone who's like, I'm offering ayahuasca. They're like, mm, mm, mm. So what's DMT exactly? It's, it's basically the same thing. It's, it's the same thing, but more concentrated and, and more brief. I don't really know, actually. So DMT is what you end up, is the psychoactive in ayahuasca. Mm. But ayahuasca is a whole ritual. There's tobacco involved. There's a whole thing. Oh, I know that, but I, I, I just don't know. I know that there's a movie about DMT. That's like a European film. Did you ever see that film about the, the I girl not. soul who is in, infused the world? Oh shit. It's a really cool movie too. I saw it once. I don't send it to you. I'm sorry. I can't, it's, it's escaping me right now. But anyway, have you, have you done DMT? I have not. And I've been trying to get my hands on it. Because apparently the cool kids have DMT vapes these days. Get the hell out of here! I mean, I thought you, I think I'm a, you're supposed to have an out of body experience on this thing. Yeah, but it only I'm, lasts I'm, like twelve minutes. No, thank you. I'm not going to. Um, well, it's a pretty it's a pretty intense thing to do for probably even just two minutes. You know. Yeah. I need to be out of the city. I, the point being is, I'm I'm into the experience. I just need to be out of the city. I need to be somewhere that's separated from the concrete jungle that that any city is. According to Healthline.com that I'm looking at right now, synthetic DMT kicks in pretty fast, producing effects within 5 to 10 minutes. Plant-based brews tend to produce effects in 20 to 60 minutes. Generally, the effects inhaled, snorted, or injected last 30 to 45 minutes. Drinking as a brew like ayahuasca can leave you tripping anywhere from 2 hours to 6 hours. All right. Yeah, like those DMT vapes, like from what I've understood, like, yeah, you could be down in as little as 12 minutes. Wow. It's interesting. Like, I mean, there's a lot of studies in, in revolving uh, revolving around uh, psilocybin, obviously, in terms of uh, PTSD, childhood trauma, dealing with death, etc. I, I do think that the way that it was explained to me in regards to psychedelics is that your brain is wired like a snowstorm, and you know when it's snowing and you you walk through the snow to create tracks the first time. And the second time you walk through those tracks, it's easier because you've you've dredged through the snow, and it's melted slightly. It was it was explained to me kind of like you're seven years old and you go to pet a dog while it's eating and it bites you. So for the rest of your life, on some level, when you see an eating dog, you're reminded of that bite. So you're more apprehensive to pet that dog. So psychedelics were explained to me as such where your brain is wired to see a dog and think pain, but what psychedelics does and and tends to do is kind of get that block out of your neurotransmitter and create a, a clear path to, to, to that idea without pain involved. I may have not articulated it as such, but um, it's true. It's 110% true. There are things that I've learned about myself, about existing, about, about pain that doing something once a year of this nature has really expedited the healing process. And that's just, and the thing is, it's, it's also fun. You know, most things, most things are contrary. Most good things are contradictory to each other. You know what I'm saying? In the sense that there are good and bad attached to it. Look at Tupac, for example, he can make a, a song like, uh, you know, Brenda, or Brenda's got a baby, but also I get around. 
within a three or four year period of time. One's about being, you know, um, extre- you know, ex- extremely like a, you know, uh, how do I word this appropriately? Just kind of one's about being a ladies man and one's about a, a young lady that is pregnant and has no control over the outcome of what takes place next. So some of the best things in life are contradictory, but you have to study both sides in order to get the truth. And that's what, where we lose sight of reality in anything. Oh yeah. Well, because people have confirmation biased and they just go with what they already believed. And instead of looking at both sides of the fucking coin. I mean, they put salt and pepper on brisket for a reason. They don't just put salt on it. Especially with like psilocybin. It's natural. It's naturally occurring. There's, Hell, there's the stone date theory that we evolved from primates due to psilocybin. It caused our brains to grow bigger and us to use tools because of we were eating psilocybin. I believe that. I mean, I like it. I'm not sure if the science is sound on it. I haven't dove too deep into it, but I like the idea. I mean, um, I'll put it in my pocket. Right? It's a a loose justification for me to use more psilocybin. You're a cool dude, man. I'm so glad I met you. Oh god, you too, man. Like, the, the yeah, the thing is, like, I had such a really fun time the first time we spoke, um, and you came to see my show with the. Uh, who'd you come to my show with? Uh, uh, my uh, friend uh, Corey. Uh, she's cool too. We're friends on Instagram, I believe, and uh, and we we did we did that thing recently where the, the game. Yeah, yeah, we did Jackbox. All right, we're gonna sit on the couch. Um, yeah, but legit, when I met you, I was like, yo, this is a real easy guy to talk to. Obviously, you learned a lot about me from my show. But I mean, hanging out with you have very little ego about you. And that's something that I, uh, I like, in the sense that we're just trying to get information from one another, to the best of our ability, because we're all experiencing this world from via our own perspective. And so you're a great fucking host. And you're also just like a good dude all around. And aww, I see, I know I see fucking great shit for you. Like I, I'm going to be connected to you for the rest of my time in Los Angeles, if not more, and, and both personally and professionally. Hell yeah, man! Uh, Hell yeah! Yeah, uh, you're a fucking rock. You're a rock star because, like, you walk. You know, you walk into a room or you show up on a screen, and I'm like, I will watch that. <laughs> and I will listen to that because this guy's not trying to be anything other than who he is, you know? And so, yeah, you're, you also remind me of a, a buddy of mine that I grew up with that I, that I love dearly. So you're a good dude. Are you wearing an Arby's hat? I am wearing a nihilist Arby's hat. Oh yeah, actually. Okay. I, now I recognize it. Now I recognize it. Oh yeah. Got a rep nihilist Arby's. One of the best Twitter accounts ever. They're the best. Uh, what, uh, so, um, do you are you do you still smoke? Obviously, you still smoke a cigar before your podcast. Is it a nightly thing to smoke a cigar, or is it just before a podcast? No, no, it's part of the process to be on camera. It's like I need my nicotine to just boom, 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 get the the brains firing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it, man. I get it. No, yeah, everyone, everyone's got their rituals. I got mine. No, trust me, I certainly do. I certainly do. Like I, I had to, I had to go for a quick little sweat a jog before we, before we did this. Cause I just, like, I had a busy day. I get a lot of my thinking done when I'm jogging. I listen to gangster rap 
and uh, you know, I'm able to sweat out the 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 demons inside me so that I can create new ones. Hell yeah, hell yeah. What gangster rapper are you listening to, though? I I may judge you a little. Yeah, a little honestly, bit. no. Yeah, it, uh, there's a guy that you guys probably know about. His name's YG. It's, it's an acronym for you know for young gangster, and he's from California. I was not an instant fan of his, but um, I've been listening to him a lot lately. Uh, anything with Nate Dog in it. Rest in peace, Nate Dog. Um, and what else have I been listening to, gangster rap wise? There's a lot of British MCs. There's a guy by the name of Stormzy. All right, that he's fucking awesome, and he's he's a G as well. If you if you don't know who Stormzy is, you should definitely check him out. He's I'll all, definitely he's check him out. I mean, most of yeah. my gangster rap knowledge comes from like 1997 or before. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Wu-Tang Clan is gangster rap. No one is ever going to say that out loud, but it is. I mean, Are you kidding? Like- Cash rules everything around me. It's all about selling drugs. The whole song is about selling drugs. They had a skit in their first album that was like, I'm going to sew your asshole shut and keep feeding you. And feeding like, you. And feeding and you. Feeding you. Uh, that's as gangster as it gets. I'm sorry if you disagree. Well, for fuck's sake, ODB cashed a welfare check at a check casher on MTV. Oh my God. And he walked out of a limo to do it. Yeah. Like, come on. That's legit. And the guy who was making his music or executive producing it is doing the scores for Quentin Tarantino movies. Like it, the world's of what you could, the, anything legitimately is possible. If your heart's in the right place and, and you, uh, and you just stay true to yourself and you work hard. Remind me when we get off air, I have a Wu-Tang story for you that is not appropriate for air. That is hilarious. Just remind, Fair enough. Remind me when we get off air, because I may forget. Gangster rap is what I listen to. That's part of my process. And uh, I really can't do anything else creative during the day until I start my day with gangster rap. Nice. This is roll out of bed, gangster rap, brush your teeth, gangster rap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Drive, to, drive my son home to his mom's house Gangster rap Make love to your lady friends Gangster rap Gotta make love to gangster rap what? If, you're not banging to, if you're not banging with gangster rap In the, in the foreground if, you're not ba- if you aren't banging To gangster rap Like you're the rapper Banging to your own songs I don't know. Fucking, you know I don't think I'm egotistical enough To bang to my own songs if I made music I don't know that'd be kind of weird no, as if they were your own songs. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Just yeah. no, I don't bang to my I don't bang to my own songs. Um, um, yeah, absolutely not. Come on, um, could, we, could you imagine genuine banging the pony? Just the, uh, he bangs. I can't, but I will say this: if you follow me on Spotify, I have a playlist called Sixty Nine. That's my sex playlist, and it always works. Oh God, I, I'm going to have to explore this and find out what your sex playlist is. Sixty Nine on my Spotify. Oh my God, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous, man. Is it? It's a public playlist. Do you always start it from the same place, or do you just jump into it on a random track? For a while, I did, and then I got a girlfriend, and then I had to hit random. If you did it in the same order every time, she'd know exactly when it was sexy time. This is true. This is true. But then I add new things. You're right. My friend has a sex playlist, and I don't know the name of the classical mu- or the, the classical song, but it's the one that the first song on it is. Dun, 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 uh, I'll tell you right now. Give me a second. 
that's that's ridiculous. That is. Uh, but listen, Matt, I'm get, I have to go because that mixtape that I was releasing in the morning just got delivered to me, and I have to do a lot of administrative shit. For sure, for sure. Before you run, Maddie, where can they find you on the socials? Where can they find this mixtape? Where can they find your sex playlist? Give them all the links, all the things. Guys, thanks for listening to this. Um, you could find me on all of the socials as at Maddie P. McManus. That's M-A-T-T-Y-P as in Peter McManus. That's at Maddie P. McManus. Um, just Matt McManus on Spotify. As a rapper, my name is hashtag MCM or Man Crush Monday. You could get the links to all these things via my Instagram or my Twitter. Look out for Songs People Love, which is dropping either tomorrow morning or next Monday. And then the subsequent album, Classical Music, which is going to change the world forever. Hell yeah. Check out all Matt's shit. He has a huge fucking talent. Like I was really hoping that the one-man show was going to fucking tour at some point. Maybe when the world reopens, you can go tour with it. Uh, That's the plan. That's fucking amazing. When Maddie's One Man Show comes to you, be sure to check it out. It is an amazing show. You learn so much about Matt. It's so heartfelt and just honest. Honestly, everything else that I do in terms of trying to make people laugh is just who I am. But my message is I'm trying to turn people's problems into superpowers. And I'm trying to turn disabilities into abilities. And I'm just trying to change the stigma around negative things around children. Uh, and, and that's basically what it boils down to. Um, so just keep following me. I'm going in the right direction. I'm not perfect. No one is. My, heart, my, my heart's in the right place and I fart in the right place. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So check Maddie out on all this stuff. As always, you can find me at Matt underscore Slayer on Twitter, Matt Slayer on Instagram, Matt F and Slayer on Facebook, twitch.tv slash Matt F and Slayer to come check out the gaming and the Twitch stream. You can find the podcast at and now we drink on Twitter and now we drink underscore on Instagram. And until next week, drink up motherfuckers. Oh, 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 o